Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, July 24th. In today's news, Bob Mueller's former chief of staff will accompany him on Capitol Hill today. Puerto Rico's governor is expected to resign. And a U.S. citizen of Mexican descent is finally reunited with his mom after being wrongfully detained by immigration authorities for nearly a month. But first, the big idea. The Department of Justice last night announced it is opening a wide-ranging antitrust review of market-leading online platforms, an unprecedented probe of the tech industry that could heighten calls for Amazon, Facebook, and Google to be broken up. The agency said the effort aims to explore widespread concerns that consumers, businesses, and entrepreneurs have expressed about search, social media, and some retail services online. It didn't mention any names, but its stated interests track closely with Google's dominance in search, Facebook's leadership in social media, and Amazon's position as the country's e-commerce leader. All three control vast amounts of data that critics say give them an edge over smaller rivals. Justice Department officials say they will seek redress if, in the course of their investigation, they find the tech companies have committed violations of federal competition laws. The review taps into intensifying bipartisan fears that tech giants have grown too large and powerful, threatening rivals, harming consumers, and undermining innovations. It could sweep up the whole of Silicon Valley into the government's regulatory crosshairs, a broad inquiry that mirrors Justice Department probes from generations ago into entire industries, such as oil and gas. Columbia University law professor Tim Wu, who chronicled this subject in his recent book, The Curse of Bigness, Antitrust in the New Gilded Age, says it looks like the antitrust winter is over. Amazon and Facebook declined to comment. Google declined to comment on the DOJ probe, but pointed to previous testimony to Congress stressing that it doesn't threaten competitors. Amazon founder and chief executive Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. Another Washington antitrust agency, the Federal Trade Commission, recently created a special task force to examine industry competition issues, including these same companies. The new DOJ effort is led by Macon Delrahim, the DOJ's Assistant Attorney General for Antitrust. He raised concerns in a statement that digital platforms may act in ways that aren't responsive to consumer demands. In recent months, Delrahim appeared to offer a roadmap for the government's coming review. He spoke at a conference last month in Israel where he warned that Washington will begin taking a broader view of what constitutes a threat to competition. He pointed to the U.S. government's case against Microsoft in the 1990s to say that federal regulators, quote, already have in our possession the tools we need to enforce the antitrust laws in cases involving digital technologies. Now, to start this new effort, DOJ officials have meetings planned for this week with attorneys general from states such as Colorado, Nebraska, and Iowa, where they're going to examine the potential for bringing state-level cases against the tech giants. Some of those states have urged the federal government to open competition probes, and many attended a private gathering hosted by the Justice Department in September of last year to discuss the power of online platforms, including concerns about privacy and free speech. Now, President Trump has repeatedly swiped at Silicon Valley in recent months. At one point in June, he threatened unspecified lawsuits against Facebook and Google. Earlier this month, Trump convened a summit at the White House during which he attacked the industry for what he called the censoring of conservatives. He pledged to explore all regulatory and legislative solutions. But many Democrats seeking the White House in 2020 actually agree with Trump on this issue. They've signaled their own interest in probing tech companies. Elizabeth Warren, for example, has been the most aggressive. She's called for the big tech companies to be broken up. 
And Democrats and Republicans have joined together on Capitol Hill to launch an investigation into Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Google, holding a hearing last week with all four of those companies. But the president's attacks and the fact that it's the Justice Department looking into things are prompting a new round of concerns this morning among legal experts about the political or legal rationale for the review. Bob Lighton, a former deputy assistant attorney general in the Justice Department's antitrust division who helped prosecute that Microsoft antitrust case in the 1990s, told us that another way to read what's happening is that the administration doesn't like any of these tech firms because they think they lean democratic and stifle conservative voices. And he said, quote, this is just pure raw knuckles payback, end quote. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this hump day. Number one, former special counsel Bob Mueller is testifying before Congress, finally, and he's bringing his longtime aide with him. Democrats on the House Judiciary Committee have agreed to allow Aaron Zebley to sit beside Mueller and advise him as he answers questions. The accommodation came after Mueller asked that Zebley be allowed to testify as a witness next to him. Judiciary Democrats rejected that request. But the House Intelligence Committee has agreed to let Zebley be sworn in for its hearing later in the day. Zebley was Mueller's chief of staff when he was FBI director, and he played largely the same role in the special counsel's office. Trump's not reacting well to the news of Zebley's addition. He called him a never-Trumper on Twitter and a disgrace to our system. He added in all caps, quote, very unfair, should not be allowed, a rigged witch hunt. While some on Mueller's team did give donations in the past to Democratic candidates, Zebley has never donated any money to any politician, and there's no evidence that he has been a never-Trumper. One person familiar with the matter said Mueller made the request to have Zebley be sworn in and testify in the last 24 hours. The Justice Department neither authorized Zebley to testify nor objected to him doing so. Meanwhile, the Justice Department did successfully secure a guilty verdict yesterday in one of the cases that Mueller's team brought as a result of its investigation into the president and Russian interference in the 2016 campaign. A federal jury last night convicted Bihan Rafikin, a former business partner of ex-Trump National Security Advisor Mike Flynn, on a pair of foreign agent felony charges stemming from work that the two men did for Turkish interests during the final months of the Trump campaign in 2016. The 67-year-old faces up to 15 years in prison. The Iranian-American businessman, who was Flynn's main partner in his consulting firm, also served as a formal advisor to the Trump transition team on national security issues. And he's now a convicted felon. Number two, Puerto Rican newspapers are reporting this morning that Governor Ricardo Rossello will resign today after two weeks of mass protests including tens of thousands taking to the streets again last night. El Nuevo Dia reports that Wanda Vasquez, the current justice secretary, will be Rossello's successor. You might say it will be a Nuevo Dia in San Juan. Sources also told the paper that Rossello has recorded a goodbye message that will be broadcast later today. Another local paper, Vocero, reports that the governor is stepping down. We haven't been able to confirm the news yet. We're chasing it. But since the disclosure almost two weeks ago of scandalous text messages and the indictment of some key allies, the administration has lost its investment officer, its press secretary, two fiscal agency heads, one of whom lasted just five days, and the governor's chief of staff quit last night, according to Bloomberg News. The New York Times reports that Puerto Rican law enforcement authorities seized cell phones yesterday belonging to several people in Rosello's inner circle. 
And civil rights leaders down there are calling for investigations into the use of tear gas on protesters. Police have fired tear gas at the mostly peaceful protesters every night now for more than a week, according to the ACLU and Amnesty International, which have both had observers at the protests in San Juan. They say police have also used rubber bullets on some nights. Number three, Francisco Galicia, the American teenager I told you about yesterday morning who spent more than three weeks unlawfully detained by U.S. immigration authorities, was finally released. San Juana Galicia, Francisco's mother, said an ICE official called her just after 2 p.m. yesterday and told her that they found his documents and citizenship papers to be valid and that he's now been freed. This happened only after significant press attention and local protests in the Dallas area. The first thing her son said over the phone when he got out was, quote, Mommy, they let me go. I'm free. Galicia's detention appears to have been a bureaucratic mix-up related to the fact that he has a U.S. birth certificate, but also years ago he got a Mexican visitor's visa to travel to the U.S. from Mexico that was issued in his name. It's not clear that he used it or not. The thing is, others won't be so lucky. Thousands of undocumented, unaccompanied migrant children are at risk of spending the rest of their childhoods in U.S. government custody. That's according to the head of the Office of Refugee Resettlement, which is part of the Department of Health and Human Services. The federal government is required under a landmark legal settlement to provide prompt and continuous efforts toward family reunification of unaccompanied migrant children. But for thousands of kids in the government's care, that reunion may never happen. The director of the Refugee Resettlement Office says he has about 4,000 children in his custody currently, and he lamented to CBS News that they're not able to identify family sponsors for many of them. So a 14-year-old might be held for the next four years, and then on his or her 18th birthday, they'll be transferred to an adult detention center and then deported to Mexico or South America. Imagine spending your 18th birthday that way. And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, July 24th. Thanks for listening. I know I keep asking, but we really would love to know what you like or don't like about The Daily 202 podcast. Please take our survey and be entered into a sweepstakes for $500 Amazon gift cards at WashingtonPost.com slash 202 survey. Thanks so much. I'm James Homan. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Hi, it's Lillian Cunningham, host of the Washington Post's Presidential and Constitutional Podcasts. Come with me on my next podcast journey, Moonrise. Moonrise reexamines the story you thought you knew about why we went to the moon. I dig into newly declassified documents and presidential records, closed-door political deals, the Cold War nuclear arms race, and even the history of science fiction to tell a new story about space. It's one that's darker, but also truer than the story you've probably heard before. And it has a lot to tell us about ourselves as Americans and as humans. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast app or at WashingtonPost.com slash Moonrise.